The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Catholic Spirituality on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, presenting Father Nicholas Disposito and Father Herman Fleece on this episode of Catholic Spirituality. This episode is a members-only episode and is not available for individual purchase and download. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit truerestoration.org and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. And now we present Catholic Spirituality. Welcome to Catholic Spirituality on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Father Herman Fleece, and in this episode I'm joined as usual by our guest, Father Nicolas Desposito, Professor at Most Holy Trinity Seminary. Thank you, Father, for joining us. Hello, glad to be back. Today we will continue our study of the book, The Theology of Christian Perfection, by the Dominican theologian Antonio Rosso Marin. We covered last time, last time we saw how um, everybody is called to Christian perfection, and today we're going to uh, see mysticism. The author starts giving a state of the question and then several uh, different uh, schools uh, giving their explanation on uh, mysticism and what it consists, and he gives different opinions. Uh, but we are going to uh, skip that. Um, anyone who is interested can see those different um, explanations or opinions um, in pages 158 and 159 and the following. But we will go directly to the um, conclusion or the definition that our author um, gives of the mystical state. And what is that, Father? Yes, if you have the text of the book that we follow um, in page 164 Roger Marin says that after investigating the various opinions of theologians concerning the essence of mysticism one fact is very evident as a psychological fact mysticism is an experience or awareness of the divine practically all theologians agree on this point in spite of the fact that definitions of mysticism have been formulated by authors of schools that are completely distinct and even contradictory on certain fundamental points. Mysticism is a passive and not an active experience because, as here also there is a general agreement among theologians, only the Holy Spirit can produce this experience in us by the influence and actuation of his gifts. So, if you have the time and you have the text, it's good to go and through all of those different opinions to see the differences, but especially to see how they have a, some, the most important and fundamental things in common. 
so there is no contradiction with regard to the essentials and the essence of mysticism and the definition that the author gives here uh, is what we are going to see next in page 165 it says the essential constitutive of mysticism is the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost in the divine or superhuman manner which ordinarily produces a passive experience of God or of his divine activity in the soul. So a couple of things to notice uh, quickly here in the definition is that this uh, experience of God, which is, uh, is something that happens ordinarily in the, uh, in the mystical act, I say ordinarily because there are certain uh, stages in the spiritual life, especially in the what is called the night of the spirit, in which the soul not only does not experience God, but it experiences the contrary. It experiences experiences almost like an ab abandonment of God. So of course the God is not abandoning the soul in that darkness, but is very close to it. But it remains true that the soul does not experience God in that moment. But uh, it seems the, the opposite. Again, that's why it's called the night or the darkness of the spirit. Another thing to notice here is that the, the, Holy, the gifts of the Holy Ghost we all have from the reception of baptism when we are babies. And if we have not lost sanctifying grace through the commission of a mortal sin, we still have the, those gifts. Or if we recover grace by going to confession, we have the uh, sanctifying grace, the infused virtues, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. This is important because, as we are going to see in, uh, in some conclusions in, in, in this very show, the, the call to the mystical life is not something uh, special, but is universal. That we are all called to, to this mysticism or the mystical life. And the reason and, that, that kind of makes us uh, uh, affirm this is that we all have those gifts. And mysticism consists essentially in the actuation of those gifts that we already have. In a way they are like right now. Uh, not being operated, and the difference between the infused virtues, um, the theological and the moral virtues, infused virtues, is that the difference between those and the gifts is that we can put them, the virtues, into operation when we want. They depend on the free will of man, aided by grace, of course, but we can do nothing to put the, um, the gifts of the Holy Ghost into act. That actuation is completely on the part of God. The only thing we can do, and this is the, one of the most important things of this whole work the, of Roger Marin, um, the, we, we can do is the, to dispose ourselves to... Uh, get rid of the obstacles that prevent God from actuating uh, those gifts that we already have. And again, the mystical state, mysticism, and what constitutes mysticism is the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. 
it says in a divine or superhuman manner, again, because there is not a human way to put them into act, like in the, in the case of the virtues. And the, um, perfection, the perfection of the Christian life demands the mystical life, because without the, the, um, the actu actuation of the gifts, even the, the theological virtues, which are in themselves more perfect than the gifts, uh, they cannot reach perfection because they are still found in a human mode of operation. So it is necessary that the gifts elevate even those virtues uh, that, again, by in themselves are more perfect than the gifts. So the, that's, I think, the most important of, uh, thing that we can say about uh, the definition of, the, um, of mysticism. So just to keep in mind that, again, we are passive with regard to that, the actuation of the gift, meaning that we cannot do anything on our part um, to put those gifts into operation. The only thing we can do is to dispose our, ourselves. That's the, the job of the um, ascetical life, which is mortification and practice of virtue, prayer and practice exercise of virtue. By doing that, by practicing um, virtue, by uh, basically having an, a, a very strong spiritual life, ascetical life, we dispose ourselves to the actuation of those, those gifts. And when God sees that we are ready, He is going to um, actuate those gifts, to put them into motion. And that's the beginning of the mystical life. And yes, far and obviously uh, it's understood that um, for acquiring this uh, disposition, one has to have a, a solid and regular life of prayer. Um, now the author uh, gives some complementary questions, uh, which um, we will skip because they are not really uh, essential in the point. They have some. Uh, good insights, but uh, anyone who is interested can find them in, uh, on page 171. But we will um, go to the uh, conclusions regarding mysticism and perfection, regarding the relation of these two things. And the first conclusion uh, is this. Mysticism enters into the normal development of sanctifying grace. Can you give an explanation on that, Father? Yes, and this is important because uh, we tend to think that the mystical life and mysticism itself, it is only um, a part of, of the life of those big, great saints that we read in the books and that we are supposed to have other kind of perfection, like an ascetical perfection, which has nothing to do with the mystical life unless God will call us in a special manner to the mystical life. But that's not true. There is a universal call to mysticism and it enters, as the conclusion says, into the normal development of sanctifying grace. Which basically means that we are supposed to be mystics and to have experienced this mystical life before we die. And that should be the last um, this la last stages of our spiritual lives uh, before 
we enjoy the beatific vision. So um, this is probably in the practical order important for us to basically motivate ourselves to find the, the, the energy and to ask God to, um, to make us faithful to our re resolutions and to persevere in our daily uh, duties in both temporal and spiritual and doing the small things we are going to uh, be disposed to the for the big thing or the actuation of the gifts the author after the conclusion says the whole matter is reduced to the fact that the soul with the aid of grace disposes itself more and more for the more intense and more frequent actuation of the gifts the gifts do not have to change specifically, and they do not need anything else to be added to their nature. That's important, again, because we have those gifts from the time we are baptized, and having sanctifying grace automatically means that we have those gifts, and they do not have to change in order that we um, go into the next level of the spiritual life to the mystical life. It suffices merely that the latent and imperfect exercise of the gifts in the ascetical state be intensified and multiplied in order that the soul gradually enter into the full mystical state, whose essential characteristic consists in the predominance of the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost in a divine manner, over the simple exercise or predominance of the infused virtues in a human manner. And that's also important that this is gradual and you may have a lot of imperfections still and uh, difficulties in prayer and the exercise of virtue, but if you do on your part what the, the best you can in order to advance in the spiritual life, you're going to enjoy the first stages of mystical um, of, of mysticism or of the um, infused uh, contemplation, which is called. And if you persevere, if you persevere in the, in the life of prayer, mortification and fidelity to grace, those that um, um, actuation of the gifts is going to be the most important element in your spiritual life. And that's the predominance of the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Then you are fully in the mystical state. So again, it is possible for someone to enjoy the first stages of infused contemplation and go back to even to mortal sin. That's actually, that's absolutely possible. That's why it's so important. And we start enjoying the first uh, fruits of our uh, prayer and mortification, etc. When God invites us to the mystical life, that we persevere and we do not get discouraged uh, in the beginning of contemplation. Because the, the beginning of contemplation is going to be difficult. It's, that's called the dark, uh, sorry, the night of the senses. So we already mentioned the night of the spirit, which is more advanced. But the night of the senses is when God uh, takes away all the sensible consolations in prayer and invites us to a higher uh, way a higher level or degree of prayer, which is the infused contemplation, the beginning of the mystical life. But again, if we get discouraged, if we 
when we see ourselves without that uh, consolation in prayer, uh, we go back to lukewarmness or to infidelity to grace or we abandon prayer basically that's not going to lead us to the fullness of the mystical life we're going to go back to sin sooner or later so it is important that we remember that uh, as the first conclusion establishes mysticism enters into the normal development of sanctifying grace and we have to on our part do everything we can to dispose ourselves for that uh, for that actuation of the gifts and for when the authors uh, says the normal development why what uh, does he mean or what does he exclude by the term normal well uh, that i i will say that that should be for everyone that is basically called to um uh, to the faith um it should be the way that we are supposed to lead our lives until arriving at the mystical life. And I say those who are in sanctifying grace, of course, ev everyone who is created, I mean, every human being is uh, remotely called to the faith and to, to conversion and to the mystical life itself. But in the practical order, in the concrete order, that's uh, not usually found because of the many obstacles that we place in the way. And, but it should be the, that everyone, this, again, this should be the rule, that we all get into that end, into that goal of the mystical life. And it's not something extraordinary, so normal in that sense, that it's not something like a, what is called a gratia gratis data, like a grace of miracle or a prophecy. There is something that God may give to, to someone, even if someone is not a saint, because those graces are for the sake of others. But those graces which are for the, um, are given on behalf of ourselves, they are called gra gratia uh, gratum facientes, or the gratia gratum faciens, those, um, that grace is, we are received, and if we are faithful, we get into we're faithful to the grace of God, we are going to get into the mystical life. And in that regard, the uh, mysticism enters into the normal development of sanctified grace. It's not something extraordinary, shouldn't be something extraordinary, like miracles, like prophecies, like ecstasies, and things like that that you read in the lives of, of many saints. But those things are extraordinary. Those things may not be there. Like in the case of Our Lady, for example, we do not have any account of a, of a miracle performed by Our Lady herself and um, in the Gospel. Nevertheless, we know she is the most perfect human person ever created. Good, that's uh, very clear. And now, uh, if we move to the second conclusion, uh, the author says, Complete Christian perfection is found only in the mystical life. Could you develop a little on that part? Yes, again, important because we may think that we can arrive at a relative perfection only of the like ascetical perfection, just practice of virtue and just fidelity to prayer, things which are good, but again, things which should, should exist only as a means towards the mystical life. And as the conclusion says, if we understand that 
perfection is only going to be found in the mystical life, that we are not going to have perfect charity unless we are mystics, it means that we are going to, again, be motivated to ask God for all those graces that we need in order to arrive at that goal, at that stage. Uh, but if we have a different notion of the Christian uh, perfection, it is um, um, possible that we are going to stay in a, a very imperfect state, thinking that um, that we can arrive at the perfection of of the virtues without the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and that's absolutely uh, erroneous. So we need the actuation of the gifts, even in order to perfect the theological and moral virtues. So there is no perfection, there is no Christian perfection without mysticism, without infused contemplation and all of the other um, different uh, mystic acts, because each of the of the gifts, the, of the seven gifts, will have its own kind of uh, mystical act. The um, I will quote here St. John of the Cross, part of this conclusion. However, assiduous, assiduously, the beginner practices the mortification in himself of all these actions and passions. He can never completely succeed, very far from it, until God works in it, sorry, works it in him passively by means of the purgation of the said night. He's meaning the night of the spirit here. And... That's important because um, we may think that if we mortify ourselves, we lead a very strict ascetical life, like, like even like the saints and fastings and things like that, that that itself is going to perfect our souls. St. John of the Cross is saying, no, the only thing that that can do is to dispose the soul to receive the perfection that only comes from God. That is the, the, um, the actuation of the gifts. The saint continues, but neither from these imperfections nor from those others can the soul be perfectly purified until God brings it into the passive purgation of that, that dark night of which we shall presently speak. It is fitting for the soul, however, to contrive to labor so far as it can on its own account in order that it may purge and perfect itself and thus may merit being taken by God into that divine care in which it becomes healed of all things that it was unable to cure itself. For however greatly the soul itself labors, it cannot actively purify itself so as to be prepared in the least degree for that divine union of perfection of love if God does not take its hand and porch it in that dark, dark fire in the way and manner that we have yet to describe. Again, very important. We, you can do all kinds of prayers, mortifications, etc., etc. But, but until God takes you into those two nights, the night of the senses and the night of the spirit, the purification of the soul is going to be imperfect. Only God can, by with the divine fire, uh, purify the soul of all of the imperfections. So very, very important. So not to put all our trust in ourselves and in our prayers, in our merits and mortifications, but to 
remember, be reminded um, that God has to take that that um, step and act actively on his part, purify us. And on our part, being purified, that is passively, um, by the divine light. And later he gives, in the second conclusion, some of the teaching of St. Teresa of Avila. I just will read the quote of the saint herself. I seem to have been contradicting what I had previously said, since in consoling those who have not reached the contemplative state, I told them that the Lord had different roads by which they might come to him, just as he also had many mansions. I now repeat this, his majesty, being who he is and understanding our weakness, has provided for us, but he did not say, some must come by this way and others by that. His mercy is so great that he has forbidden none to strive to come and drink of this fountain of life, very clearly ex establishing the principle that there is only one way for true Christian perfection and is the mystical life. That is not such a thing as a, as a um, ascetical perfection. No, there is all perfection and the true perfection of the Christian life is mystical. The ascetical life, what we call the ascetical life, only exists in order to help us get into that point of disposition in which we, uh, to speak humanly, we invite God to bring his divine light and to actuate those gifts. That's a very interesting uh, point and um, we can add also another saint that uh, St. Francis de Sales um, says uh, holy contemplation, which obviously belongs uh, to the mystical order, holy contemplation is the end and terminus to which all those exercises tend, he means um, prayer and uh, the practice of the virtues, and all of them are reducible to it. So that's uh, another testimony of um, tradition there uh, from that saint. Yes, and uh, just uh, this reminds me of the point of of vocal prayer and mental prayer. We all think that we have to do vocal prayer that is uh, uh, almost like an end in itself. And St. Thomas, I think, I don't recall if we have said this here, but St. Thomas says, if vocal prayer becomes an obstacle to mental prayer, like a distraction or something, that we should stop vocal prayer and just focus on doing mental prayer. And that vocal prayer itself, um, uh, Vocal is the, the um, meaning that we move our lips and like to say that our Father or the Hail Mary or any prayers that are in the book. Vocal prayer itself is just a means to arouse in our souls our affections for God and to, to make it easy for us to practice mental prayer. The most basic mental prayer is meditation. Meditation itself should be simplified and again should be the, like a means uh, to uh, make the soul able to go to the next step of, of mental prayer, etc., which is the beginning of the, um, of, the, of the simple prayer that is almost basically, an, again, an invitation for God to give the first, the first light of mystical contemplation. But again, this is important, what he says here, um, yes, St. Francis, that um, 
that everything should be done with the in mind that the, the, the at the end we should arrive at mystical uh, mystical contemplation at the mystical state and all of those everything again the prayer mortification meditation etc should be done with that with that uh, intention of uh, disposing ourselves uh, to the uh, for the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Going now to the third conclusion, all are called, at least by a remote and sufficient call, to the mystical life. And I think this conclusion will require some explanation because he speaks of a remote and sufficient call. And uh, what can you say about that? Father? Yes, the thing is that it is true that if we just go to the concrete order, we do not find many saints in the sense like many mystics. I mean, this is rare. Um, but the, the author points out that that's not because it is not true that mysticism should uh, or uh, belongs to the normal development of the mystical life. That's the, the yure, that's the, that's the rule. If we, de facto, that is, if in the practical order we do not reach the mystical state, that's our fault. That's because we are putting off the cost of the grace of God. We are not being generous and faithful to His uh, grace. So here, the, co the conclusion is in order to establish that we, everyone, all are called, at least by a remote and sufficient call, to the mystical state. In point number one, he says, um, the, uh, by a remote and sufficient call, by the very fact of being in the state of grace, all are called to the mystical life as the normal expression of sanctifying grace. Basically, if you have sanctifying grace in your soul, you have been baptized, and if you lost it through mortal sin, you went to confession and regained it, um, you are called to the mystical life. You have all of the elements of the mystical life. Again, what you have to do is to practice the... Um, the ascetical life, prayer and mortification, in order to dispose yourself for that mysticism. And it's the example he gives here, as the child is called to maturity by the mere fact of being born, so as regards the mystical life, since grace is the seed of mysticism. And very good because of the analogy that, that grace is called a seed. It shouldn't remain a seed. It should become something else a plant, a tree, and to have its fruits. The, the second point here, if the soul is faithful and places no obstacles to the plans of God, a moment will arrive in which that remote call is converted into approximate sufficient call through the presence of the tr three signs stipulated by Toller, that's a mystical um, author, one of the masters of St. John of the Cross, and St. John of the Cross. We are going to see in this, um, in the, in the series, the, those three signs, how you determine that you are going through the first stages of the mystical life, through the night of the senses. So, um, and the author continues here, the reason is that the, as habits, the gifts of the Holy Ghost demand an operation which is more and more vital. We saw that before, that sanctifying grace is an um, entitative habit. It, uh, 
basically makes the soul able to uh, be in the supernatural order and the, the gifts and the, of the Holy Ghost are called operative habits. Makes it as able to perform uh, operations which belong to the supernatural life. The, um, the proximate sufficient call becomes approximate efficacious call if the soul on receiving the first call corresponds faithfully <clears throat> with it and places no obstacle to the divine activity. So that's the, the whole thing about um, sufficient and, and, um, and efficacious is that if we are faithful to the first invitation of God, to that sufficient call and the sufficient grace, and we place no obstacles and we are faithful to that, God is going to make that a, um, an efficacious call. Basically, it's going to give us uh, contemplation itself and make us uh, reach that mystical life. Again, very important, we have to dispose ourselves, making sure we do not place any obstacles to the grace of God. The author says the reason for this is that efficacious grace is always given to him who does not resist sufficient grace. Very important, I will repeat that. Efficacious grace is always given to him who does not resist sufficient grace. We all know that God gives sufficient grace to everyone, which means that if we do not, if that grace doesn't become efficacious, it's because of our fault. And point number four here, the greater or less degree of holiness which the soul will attain in the mystical life will depend on the degree of fidelity on the part of the soul and the free determination of God in view of the degree of sanctity to which that soul has been predestined. The degree of grace and glory is determ determined by God for each one by divine predestination. It should be noted that this doctrine is true whether predestination is effected as the Thomists maintain ante previsa merita, before foreseen merits, or as the Molinist schools teaches, after foreseen merits. So it doesn't matter and it's not something that we are going to go uh, into consideration now about predestination, but what is important here is to, uh, to know that there is a degree of sanctity that God has prepared for us. And we, we are going to reach it. Um, uh, and if we are predestined, of course, we do not know that. But if we are predestined, there is a, a determined degree of sanctity that we are going to reach. So the um, for, for us, again, in the practical concrete order, the important thing is that we have now to be faithful here and now to the grace of God. To be faithful to our in our duties, both temporal and spiritual duties, not to get discouraged, but persevere in the life of prayer and mortification, basically the ascetical life, in order to prepare ourselves, dispose ourselves for the actuation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and that's mysticism. And for um, which um, place? Would um, meditation take in this uh, development? Do you think it's an, Im an important? It's the uh, it's essential. Without uh, meditation, which is again the inferior of the um, 
the less perfect of the of mental prayer is the beginning of mental prayer without meditation there is is no way that we are going to to arrive at any of the of the stages of the mystical life because meditation is the beginning of mental prayer and mental prayer is is very very important is essential uh, to reach uh, this this state why because prayer is is going to essentially ask for those things that we cannot merit for those things that we cannot attain with our own efforts and the most perfect way of prayer is mental prayer the of course without taking into consideration contemplation which is uh that's uh, given by God, as we said before, we are passive with regard to that. But as with just uh, aided by ordinary grace, the way we can do, the most perfect thing we can do is mental prayer, beginning with meditation. We are going to see meditation itself. We're going to go through that, the different methods of meditation. Uh, for now, the only thing I will say is that when you do mental prayer, it has to end with a practical resolution. It has a practical consequence in your daily concrete life. Without that practical resolution, meditation is useless. So um, just for now, that's, I think, the only thing we, we are going to say. Again, if you go, want to go and uh, like jump uh, like a shortcut to the chapter on meditation itself and how to do it, uh, etc. You can feel free if you have the copy of the book, but we are going to cover that in future uh, shows. Thank you, Father, for that explanation, and I think we have arrived at the end of uh, our show today. Um, we finished chapter three. Next time we will uh, see chapter four. We will start with the models of perfection, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. And, uh, Father, I thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to Catholic Spirituality. We want to remind you that Catholic Spirituality is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. If you have any questions for Father Herman Fleece or Father Nicholas Disposito or feedback on this episode, please contact us at catholicspirituality at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful or beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary or even simply an Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.